I was just wondering, was this interesting? (laughs) (laughs) What? Welcome to Blind Spotters, a movie podcast about the movies we've missed. I'm Zach Pocklip. And I'm Amanda Liberto. And today's movie swap, we're doing a couple of documentaries because it's Docusumber. I watched Amy for the first time. And Amanda, what did you watch? I watched When We Were Kings. We're getting non-fictional up in here. But before we do that, how are you doing? What have you been watching? Merry Christmas. Happy Holidays. That's so fun. Um, I'm good. It finally started to get chilly in the fiend, so that's fun. Yeah, things are good. Um, it is like a movie screener season, so like every day I'm getting something new to my door, which is very exciting. Um, I have noticed like a big difference in like what studios are sending, and like I now have a gigantic coffee table book on Rustin. Okay. <laughs> I also have a 400-page book about Todd Haynes. Sure. Barbie sent me a beautiful cardboard uh, fold of some photos and then a link to a, a screener. And I was like, no! <laughs> Why don't I have a 400-page book on Greta Gerwig? <laughs> <laughs> She's still writing it. Yeah, it's just been really interesting. But other than that, so I've been trying to watch my my new movies while also trying to see movies before they escape on the uh, on the streaming sites. So I got a screener for Dumb Money, which is a movie I I ended up missing in the theaters. It just was one of those things, which like I'm glad I saw it like on my laptop late at night. It was much better that way. (laughs) Fun, silly so every actor, like every character is played by an actor you know. Um, it was a good time. Paul Dano, man. He just is a really great Twitch streamer. First it was the Batman and then it was Dumb Money. <laughs> like a really solid B movie. But a movie I mentioned that I wanted to see on my on the last episode that I got the name of incorrect. But it's When Evil Lurks. And it's a Shutter film from Mexico. Incredibly disturbing um very good so i just wanted to mention that i did see it <laughs> good <laughs> job. The, the actual name of the movie is when evil lurks um but i want to move on because i do have like two actual movies i want to talk about so i saw the holdovers paul giamatti just what a gem of a film i i laughed i cried i felt like a warm hug very solid You've said in our text group it's an extremely manda coded movie can you elaborate on that pretty cozy it's uh textural uh it's a little like there's some like vinegaryness to it it's not just sweet there's a moppy headed brunette or there's many of them quite famously my favorite type of person <laughs> yeah uh I, th- I think it just is one of the flavors that i figured you would enjoy and you were correct i loved it it was gorgeous um, but an older movie that I finally saw was Sneakers, yes. Robert Redford, like cyber thriller. The Ocean's Eleven, like prequel in a way. Yeah, it was really good. It was on the criteria. It's on the Criterion channel for a few more days, but um, loved it. Just totally adored it. So uh, that was a very fun um, movie to watch over the holiday. I love Sidney Poitier in that movie. Yeah, and like such a cool idea, 
mm-hmm. or it seems very like Mission Impossible-y, um, but also a little like the game, the David Fincher mm. film, where it's like, who can you trust? Can you trust anything? Ben Kingsley it's has fun. the strangest little run in that movie. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> so weird. <laughs> That's super valid. What about you? What are you up to? What have you been watching? Oh, the usual. I've been traveling. I spent a week in New York. We got to see our good friends, Maya and Bobby. Um, Our good friend Maya took me to a press screening of the Marvels, which was great. Uh, I honestly really enjoyed the Marvels. Um, The most up I've felt after an MCU movie about the MCU's future since Endgame. That doesn't mean I think it's the best movie since Endgame. But it's the most optimistic I felt about uh, the direction that MCU is going. I don't know how much of that is to do with I'm reading the MCU Reign of Marvel Studios book written by Dave Gonzalez, Joanna Robinson, and Gareth Edwards, um, which has been a really fascinating look at the movie industry in 2023. Uh, But I enjoyed it. I don't know if people have seen it. It's, uh, you know, it struggled via the writer strike and actor strike, among other things um financially but i uh i enjoyed it so i thought it was a fandom positive film later in the week i went to an alamo draft house for the first time which was personally fun and to go see the killer you had never been there's not one in vegas i guess that makes sense (laughs) yeah so uh after i finished working i hustled down to make it to a screening of the killer and while i downed two old fashions and the person next to me housed like three orders of fries so that was a little i was unexpected like i knew the vibes were going to be cool but it was weird watching a movie while people like were running back and forth ordering food i don't know if i've ever seen a new movie at a draft house i've seen a lot of like reshowings of films yeah. at alamo draft house i just i made sure i wanted to go see it because it's not showing anywhere in vegas in the theater so i wanted to watch it on the big screen i really enjoyed it I think it was a very funny film. I think Fassbender, it's good to have that version of him back. Um, it's good to have Fincher back in kind of a more comfortable pocket than, say, compared to Mank. Um, and then it was also really cool to come back home and then watch it like a couple days later on uh, the streaming service Netflix and uh, kind of like enjoy the aspects of it that I wasn't aware of beforehand, like get to drink in. Um, a rewatch um just like tilda swinton drinks in some whiskey in that movie like a fucking icon (laughs) yeah i liked the killer a lot i mean i'm an easy mark for a finch film especially a thriller but i thought it was hilarious i think it just is everything fincher does right and i want to see him do more with michael fassbender i think that they could be a good combination yeah 100 percent um yeah it, it just seemed like the Fincher you'd want. And then lastly, uh, I watched this movie called Written on the Wind, uh, a 50s film starring Lauren Bacall and Rock Hudson, Robert Stack. Uh, Really great, like, Southern American melodrama dealing with, like, a love triangle and heirs to an oil empire and all the fun stuff that comes with that. Really good. Uh, That was directed by... um, Douglas Sirk, and he kind of freaked it with it. Really enjoyed it. So uh, it's on Criterion right now. Uh, would recommend. But those are the movies we've been watching. Let's talk about the movies and documentaries we're swapping. Amy and When We Were Kings. Amanda, why did we pair these? I don't know. I feel like we both really like documentaries. I feel like that's fair to speak for you. I think, yeah, I think um, you're more prone to watch a documentary than I am generally. Yeah. But I love a really good documentary. Like, I'm... I get hit real easily. Documentaries are generally emotional. 
Um, and I'm an emotional girl, so those are always an easy thing. Um, but I think like a bad documentary is so obvious and like, I have very low tolerance for bad documentaries. I will bail out of a documentary way faster than I'll bail out of a movie. Mm, Um, but Amy has always stuck with me and I think we both love music and sports, but like sports is definitely like more you and music is a little bit more me. So it was fun to swap where it's like, I know you're already comfortable in this zone. Here's like a blind spot within something mm-hmm. I know you're comfortable in. So like Amy Winehouse is not a, a a musician you knew a lot about and boxing is just not a sport I know a lot about. So it was fun to swap those two specifically um, for our options. Yeah, I liked it. Um, I think we both picked documentaries that we personally are comfortable like supremely comfortable talking about the subjects. It was interesting because like a lot of the research had actual answers if you wanted to. Yeah, that's um, a good point. Uh, the summaries aren't really, they don't really need to summarize much. It's going to be fun to talk about uh, m- movies, but like ones that are distinct in uh, the way that you talk about them, I guess. Yeah. And there's definitely like filmmaking aspects that we'll both discuss. Don't worry, shots will be mentioned Naturally. in <laughs> in this discussion, but it is really different than going over like a feature film. Um, so I am excited to hear like how it all kind of plays out. But yeah, yeah, let's get into it. Yes, uh, pick a side. I'll flip the coin. Heads. It's heads. So you win. Nice. I, I, potentially for the first time in a while. I can't remember how this goes. But anyway, what are we talking about first? I want to do Amy first. I want to get it out of the way. Because <laughs> I just feel like we're going to talk a lot about when we were kings. So I want to talk about Amy first. Okay. Okay. Sounds good. All right, Zach. Amy Winehouse, a beautiful and troubled woman. What was this documentary about? It was about Amy Winehouse being a famed and troubled woman. It covered her uh, rise to fame, her fall from grace, the life that was played out in the tabloids all the way until her death in 2011 um, uses a lot of archival footage uh, and behind the scenes footage that people had not seen at that point and lots of interviews with close friends, confidants, business partners, uh, family members and, and such. So um, that, that's basically what it's about. It's kind of easy to summarize like world events. <laughs> yeah. She tragically left very young. So there's not a lot of life to discuss, but it yeah. was very, you know, hot flash in a pan sort of situation. Definitely, definitely. If you were a person in the aughts, uh, you knew yeah. who Amy Winehouse was. Um, okay, so why don't you tell me why you picked this movie? So I have a very like personal relationship to Amy Winehouse's music, and this was actually the first doc, like the first movie where I like recognized A twenty four as like a studio. Like that was like, oh, this is an A24 documentary. I think this was like the first time I had ever heard mm. of this studio. So that always stuck with me. But I feel like our generation specifically, and if we were like 10 years older, we might have a different idea. But we like our impression of Amy Winehouse is completely connected to like the tabloid spin of her personality. And like that's how we know her. I feel like this documentary definitely uh, approaches and confronts the troublesome parts of her life but also gives like her beauty and her talent 
a chance to shine. And it's a really nice compliment for what we know of like Amy Winehouse, like party girl and gives like both sides. Yeah, I think that's a good point where you're talking about how the way we were, especially in America, delivered Amy Winehouse and especially at our age, you know, in the in the aughts, we are like going through our early adolescence, basically. You know, all my understanding of, of Amy Winehouse was one, a, a great singer, but two, like all the jokes that would happen on like SNL and like The Soup or Tosh.0 or whichever one of those. Um, yeah. Late night shows, she was paparazzi fodder like for the most part. So um, learning about, you know, what got her there, what was really going on um, was really illuminating. Yeah. And like those moments are in the documentary. Like they show clips of late night shows making jokes about her life while it's like interspersed with like a more realistic look at like what was happening to her. Yeah. And it it feels so gross every time. (laughs) All right. So what was your first impression while you were watching it? What were a few things that stood out to you? immediately it's like she has this ghosting presence over the dock because everybody you know she's she dies i think they even yeah. talk about it in, like off jump um but like obviously amy winehouse tragically died um way too soon um and it's part of her lore i guess for lack of a better term but with that framing it like, and so much archival and there's so much uh like foreshadowing toward the inevitable end it really feels like a found footage horror film while watching this documentary um just because you're seeing innocent amy just laughing having fun singing with this incredible talent um but it's also interspersed with like she was great but man she was self-destructive basically um i think at one point uh, i think it was most deaf was talking to like man if you're like this when you're 18 what are you going to be when you're 25 she died like two years after 25 she's 27 the doc clearly obviously wants you to feel like mesmerized with this songwriter with this musician with this talent um in a like a less favorable reading my brain kind of was like it's kind of building her out to be this like manic pixie dream girl in a way yeah no it's like very clear like the documentary has a point of view right i will i will not back away from that she was self-destructive it goes through all of her bad habits and all her toxic relationships and everything like that so the whole time i'm watching it i'm just it's just this like pit in your stomach feeling of like you know how this ends like there's no more hope whenever someone uh is like overcome by all this like that they you know where it's all headed so it's just like there might have been like seven eight different what ifs in her life but it seemed like uh those were always going to be passed by um for however long she she lived It's really interesting to me that you mentioned like the lore of her death because she is famously a member of the 27 Club, which I think as society we've moved past something like that, but is like a situation where all of these uh, very famous celebrities have all died at the age of 27. And a lot of them are drug-induced or self-induced, but people like Janis Joplin or Jimi Hendrix, Kurt Cobain... And like Amy Winehouse being on this list like feels right <laughs> as far as like incredibly talented, just like shot out of a cannon, was the most famous person for just a hot second. And like it could not be sustained. Um, and you watch the documentary. And again, obviously, it has a point of view, but like you're watching it knowing this cannot be sustained and like. It just feels like someone who got like an unfair shot 
at everything. The other note I had that stood out was like the doc kind of felt, and I don't know how else to phrase this, but like a cliche rags to riches to downfall arc, like beat by beat, it followed like the stereotypical arc of like how you think a person who like rises to fame really quick and then and I'm not saying that like her life wasn't like individualistic, but like if you were to summarize um, someone who becomes famous very quickly and then has a demise, it would kind of look like this. Um, so it felt like very neat and tidy in its narrative. And I know like we'll talk about that a little bit more, but whereas some documentaries might be too sprawling, I do think this one stayed specific to what it set out to show. And I think it set out to show, you know, Amy Winehouse behind the scenes and everything that she brought from her with her voice for her charisma her energy on and off camera all the way to the demise um and that she was more than just the tragedy but she was just great talent who um you know just couldn't make it past all the um difficulties that fame sets out of in front of you it's really interesting that you said that because i was thinking the same thing while i was watching um we when we were kings I was like, well, this has like a cinematic story arc and it just is like a real thing that happened. And that's crazy that this happened the way that movies are written. Um, And it is very similar, her life. And you you know, like when you're watching a movie and when something is going to be wrong and there's like a a line or like a moment where like, oh, it's all going to go downhill from here. And like there are those moments in this documentary like. As soon as toward the end, they're like, and then they were going to go on tour. And you're like, no, don't go. Right. Yeah. Don't do it. Um, Did you watch Her Smell? I've seen. No, I have not finished it. Okay. It just gave me the same stress of like, oh, you have none of the right people around you. (laughs) Yeah. A hundred percent. All right. What have you thought about most since you finished watching it? Uh, So when the doc ended, I kind of felt longing for more about her versus how the tragedy came to be it was much more of like a like a how this happened than like a who this was kind of feeling um to watching the doc so you know how did she become famous how did she end up in the poor situation she was in maybe part of it is because she didn't let like the right people stay closest to her and she had this like really toxic relationship with her husband ex ex-husband um that maybe she didn't have more than like what she presented. I don't know. Like, I just wish there was more time spent on who Amy Winehouse was um, in the quieter moments and, and not in the worst or best parts of her life. Yeah. Like, who was she as a person and not a performer? Yeah. Cause it felt like at some point, like, to survive fame, like, her whole life became performance in a way. Um, yeah. when she was sober and then like I, I felt like I didn't get to know her but also maybe not a lot of people really did because um, maybe she didn't open herself up in that way I also think about like maybe she didn't know herself right yeah 27 is incredibly young to like have a good idea of who you are let alone have like entire stints of alcohol and drug substance abuses and then rehab and then isolation and then tours like all like how do you like self-reflect when this is like all happening to you in under 30 years yeah exactly so um because the other thing i thought about most while watching is like 
anybody who's famous and is like f- remotely fine now is a miracle. So obviously the first person I think of right now is Billie Eilish, who is still only like 21 or 22 mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, and is like and one of the most famous people on the planet right now um, mm-hmm. and has been since she was 16. Being famous seems like it's the worst thing ever. Like being famous and not rich versus being rich and not famous. There's a clear winner there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, obvi- yeah, obviously. And, and like a lot of the pap stuff was like top of mind because I'm like, you know, the first half of the final season of The Crown is out. So there's a lot of Diana content um, just circulating the Internet. And obviously the tragic end for her and the relationship with the paparazzi. Um, it's just, again, a fucking miracle when somebody's like worldwide famous as a teen and makes it remotely OK. Like two people I think of all the time that's miracles is Daniel Radcliffe and LeBron James. Especially in those eras, like I, when I think about Billie right, Eilish, like yeah. obviously the paparazzi is everywhere, but I feel like America's relationship to celebrity has changed so much with social media and specifically Instagram. Like they have the power to put the narrative in their hands, mm-hmm. which is something that like Britney Spears didn't have and thus like was in these like horrid situations where she was followed by paparazzi constantly and like we only saw what they wanted us to see and it just is like I feel like we have such a different relationship to the paparazzi like I think about the things of like Perez Hilton like how like horrible that is (laughs) and like how scummy that feels and that would never exist today and like thank fuck it doesn't (laughs) exist today while we're all also like dumber when it comes to media literacy as a whole we're also smarter at at parsing out like the fakeness that comes with a celebrity pr machine or like narratives that are built or just how people navigate uh showing themselves in public um is a lot more advanced because we've been doing this for longer like we have 10 12 more years under our belts now than we did when amy winehouse passed away and people like billy eilish like are surrounded by really good people like, that's something she always says. Like, her parents are always on tour mm-hmm. with her. Um, she famously talks about, like, she when she goes on tour, she likes to stay with her mom in her hotel room because it's, like, her favorite person. And her parents and, like, and the people that are around her and close to her are, like, good. Yeah. That, because Amy Winehouse had her dad around her, too, and then that did not help at all. Which is exactly what I was going to say, <laughs> is that, like, parents now, I feel, have a very different relationship with their children's celebrity and that even like goes down to a micro scale of like people we know not wanting to show their children's face on instagram until they're a little bit more well like until they can make their own decisions and i mean it's it's such a different world that we're living in when it comes to ownership over how involved you are in being known um but it is certainly a difference when you have like the right people in your corner and like Billie Eilish also I listened to a lot of interviews with her I think she's very interesting girl um but she talks a lot about other celebrities of the Amy Winehouse generation reaching out to her and being like you should handle things like this because I never got that chance because that's not how society existed and like she has like a network of celebrities who are also gutting for her to make it out alive which is awesome and that like just didn't exist in the early 2000s yeah and it reminds me of a lot of i mean there's many examples of this but for me personally like i watched a lot and read a lot of like basketball content growing up and like 
the people who came out of high school early in the 80s and 90s and experienced all the pitfalls or even people coming out of college to the NBA um, then turning around to helping the generation that comes in the 2000s and 2010s and just everybody having more understanding or a better understanding of if you have something here's how not to screw it up obviously people still have their um, downfalls and mistakes and things are mismanaged but um, I also I think that like so many female celebrities looked at how the paparazzi treated people like Lindsay Lohan Amanda Bynes Britney Spears right. uh, people do a better Jen- job of calling that stuff out too yes and like being way more protective and having like a no-nonsense clause of like living as a celebrity like as a famous person and that was just like a respect that did not exist 20 years ago. And yeah. I I do think about sometimes like if Amy existed now, how different her life might have ended up being Um, where like she could have probably taken like two years off and like no one like we would all been like, yeah, she'll like come back when she comes back. Right. Like, she'll make music when she makes music. And like I'm not involved in the the cycle of album releases but i feel like it is way less intense now because we all have a better understanding of like this person is a person and also they are a musician instead of like where's my album (laughs) yeah make me an album (laughs) all right what's the first thing you looked up about the movie after you finished watching it generally after docs i want to know who made it because i think this goes to our journalistic backgrounds um if we're being fed this point of view or fed this document, like we want to look at the ingredients too, to, to verify or to check um, where biases might be. So I want to know who was involved in creating it. Was it her people? Was it not her people, et cetera. Um, so basically universal music approached James Gay Reese, who uh, directed the um, documentary Senna about Ayes and Senna, the F1 driver. Um, very good. Would recommend watching it. I believe it's on Netflix. Um, they approached him and then, Together, they signed uh, Asif Kapadia to direct. Um, and then because they got him as director, the parents signed on um, and gave the okay for uh, Universal to um, pursue this project. Who is that person? Why would they be so excited about that person signing on? He was the director for Senna as well. Oh, okay. Like they, they got they the Sen- like understood the respect. Yeah, they got the Senna name team and they understood also that there was going to be a lot of archival used um and that was a documentary obviously that used a lot more archival versus um talking head interviews also wanted to know about oscars because we know it won best documentary at the oscars so i just wanted to know uh how it all went down i thought it was fun daisy ridley and dev patel presented um what a fun little duo what a very 2016 duo yeah Gay Reese and Cavadia went up and accepted it and they dedicated it to Amy's fans and they dedicated it to wanting to betray her truly. Um, and then at the end, as the music played off, they thanked their families. It was a very run-of-the-mill acceptance, um, but it was an acceptance speech nonetheless. It was also the A24's first Oscar year. Um, like, for real, like, Amy gets nominated and wins Best Documentary. Um, Ex Machina wins Best Visual Effects, and then Brie Larson wins Best Actress for Room. Um, so really um, benchmark year for A24. You fast forward seven years, and they're winning every Oscar pretty much, um, or their and their movies are littered throughout. They're two Best Picture winners um, under their belt at this point, so they're just rolling. Have you seen Room yet? 
No, I just know it's not going to okay. be a good hang. We got to keep it on the list because I love that movie and I'd love to talk about it. So yeah, for sure. I, I, and we'll, I'm very we'll find, pro Brie we'll Larson. Find a time. Yeah. Yeah. Agonizing watches. This is real. Uh, this is a bummer. <laughs> that's the theme. <laughs> you know, it's just bummers. be like best actress because that's going to be mostly yeah. bummers. <laughs> there you go. That's yeah. I mean, <laughs> no, one, no one likes to see women have fun. That's what yeah. we've learned. <laughs> well, they have a chance here with Barbie, but it won't happen. That's, it won't happen. <laughs> What else did you want to learn? I also wanted to look into how her family responded because uh, it doesn't paint her father, Mitch Winehouse, in a very positive light. Um, Bad. Yeah. So I was curious as to how he would receive it. Uh, Naturally, Mitch Winehouse did not love it. He said it was representing him in a very not good way. To to use his words, um, there is no, quote, balance uh, and it portrayed him in a negative light. Um, But he also did say that he appreciated like the rest of the movie and the way it portrayed Amy Winehouse. Um, he just didn't appreciate his own portrayal, which I feel like is something he needs to unpack in therapy um, r- rather than in the media. Uh, but uh, later on, I think he uh, co-produced uh, like his own documentary on his daughter that nobody kind of cared about. So, um, so like tough, Amy and her own words Mitch. are like something yeah. like that yeah. in her own light. Like it, it has like kind of a weird name. And then I also wanted to look into like, you know, Amy Winehouse is this zeitgeisty figure, this, uh, by all accounts, great musician, great singer who was very influential in the 2000s. So I wanted to know who she influenced. Um, obviously, it's littered all over the place with music. Um, the biggest examples I found of people who cited Amy Winehouse as an influence, Adele, um, she has poured praise onto Amy Winehouse's name and thanked her for her influence in the way she impacted british music uh lady gaga cited her as an influence florence welch um florence welch talked about seeing her at like early sets at glastonbury and that really inspiring her and people like being like oh like people are digging this woman who's a songwriter cool um and then the funniest one i found is future I my love favorite that. <laughs> problematic toxic king has rained praises down on amy winehouse as well I don't know about Adele, but I do know like Lady Gaga and Florence Walsh both have also worked with Mark Ronson, um, oh. a man who can identify a pop diva in a crowd. <laughs> this is very true. Um, I almost put the the Netflix Lady Gaga documentary on oh, nice. um, my list, yeah. but that might just be like a one for me. <laughs> I don't know if that movie's any good. But what is I a podcast if not one for me? Um. Yeah, there is a scene where sh- her. And Florence and Mark Ronson all write a song together. So that's oh, that's very cool. Yes. Um, and then a couple occasions throughout the film, uh, they splash on covers from the Rolling Stone. And so I just wanted to go back and read those profiles, um, which was interesting. Uh, how the access and prose, I guess, used in celebrity profiles has evolved over the last 15 years. Um, but they portrayed her character as basically how it appears in the documentary, like pretty chaotic very kind and hospitable but um a little bit inconsistent and like that she had a presence and this wonderful presence and this big big life um that she lived one of them uh the first one in 2007 that i wrote read um this is like when she's broke out in america and everything uh jenny eliskew wrote quote winehouse says that she's always been the kind of girl who loves looking after people close to her but you don't need to spend much time around the singer to get the impression that she could really use some looking after herself. There's also the clear sense that Winehouse and Blake Fielder, her husband, are a pair of self-destructive souls equally capable of being the best or the worst thing that's ever happened to each other. And damn. 
Yeah, I love Jenny Ellisku. She's like one of my favorite um, music reporters. She's now on SiriusXM. Oh, nice. All right. Um, did you have, this is going to be kind of tricky because like a uh, documentary doesn't necessarily have scenes, but it has like moments. I think it can, um, yeah. What is your favorite scene out of this documentary? It's when she's at the Grammys and wins the five Grammys and says, Dad, Tony Bennett. It's the best. <laughs> um, the look on her face when they call her name is just like so, like I get chills every time Yeah, I see it. And it's also the most, like potentially the most tragic because yeah. like uh, she tells her friend like this sucks because like I'm sober. This Ugh. sucks. Basically the yeah. end of Wolf of Wall Street is like what her reaction is. Uh, it's winning yeah. a historic amount of Grammys. Yeah. And it's one of those moments where you're like, you're so wrapped up in it and you see her win and you're like, like this whole movie, you've been rooting for her to to win, to get what she wants. Yeah. And you're like, you're doing it. You're so close. If you could just persevere. And she wins this thing and it's presented by her hero. And she just has this like little kid look on her face of like, holy shit, what is happening? Is this even real? And like, I don't know if you watch, like she performs late earlier in the show and all this stuff. And you're just like overwhelmed with joy, like all of her friends are. And then it's just like a stab in the stomach of this line. And like even her friend um, who is very involved in the movie says like that's that was like the most heartbreaking thing I've like ever experienced for sure yeah one hundred percent. All right, do you have any other questions? Um, generally, like you've kind of talked to the, about this at this point, but like, what's your relationship to Amy Winehouse and her music and whatnot? Yeah, I love Amy Winehouse. She definitely was in this time period where I was getting really into finding my own music and like I had had great uh, inspiration by my parents and now I was like ready to find my own stuff and she was a take no shit very edgy British girl obviously and like I was really into a lot of like the women coming out of England at that time and uh, she reminds me of sort of like a Lily Allen type but she just had this, she just has a voice that is so once in a lifetime and it's so distinct and it just takes you by storm and she emotes so deeply and she writes so poetically that it is really hard to get away from. And I have always prided myself on my entire life being someone who emotes very deeply, whether happy or sad. But she's just a she's a romantic and like when things don't work out, it's just it's really hard. And I relate to a lot of that. And she only had so many songs, but they're incredible. And I revisit Amy Winehouse's music often and I miss her a lot. Do you have any other uh, comments or questions about this? My only question is because I knew you weren't as familiar with Amy's music, did you crack into her discography? Did you listen to some stuff? And what did you think? Yeah, I did. Um, it was great. I listened to Frank. Uh, a good album. I listened to Back to Black. I, I remember a lot more of those songs than I thought. It probably is music I would have listened to had I been hip to it at the time, but um, just did not get around to. But yeah, breaking news. Amy Winehouse. Good music. <laughs> Uh, would you want to watch this again? Probably not. It's a bummer. 
<laughs> yeah, this I was thinking about this. It's a really hard question to answer. I don't revisit a lot of documentaries. So I'm like, all right, I understood the story. I got it. But if people like this documentary, what else should they watch? So she was often compared to Billie Holiday, especially by Tony Bennett, which was just ecstatic. Um, so there is a really good documentary from 2019 called Billy. Um, I love Billie Holiday. She's one of my favorite jazz singers. I have sang renditions of her music for auditions and performances. Um, I think she's great. So is also sort of a larger than life personality with an incredible talent with not that known of a life. Um, and this sort of dives into that. So I thought that was very nice. A, a Tucson girly, Linda Ronstant. Um, Sound of My Voice was a documentary from 2019. Linda is just one of the most powerful voices in that time of music. She is incredible, but she also had, uh, she came down with an illness kind of young and it halted her career. Obviously, Amy passed, but Linda has a very similar story of like, you don't see her anymore. You She just sort of disappeared at like a time when you think that she was on top of the world. She and she just had like a really cool life. She was a a woman in a boys club and is very cool. Um, and then I'm actually glad that you talked about this because I, of course, connected it with Princess Diana as well. There was a 2022 documentary. I mean, there's a thousand documentaries about Diana, but I feel like the the documentary The Princess really honed in on the paparazzi's relationship with Diana and how they felt like they had access, deserved access to her 24-7. Um, and that was a big takeaway of my rewatching of Amy. Obviously, <laughs> I talked a lot about it, but like, I feel like of all of the Diana documentaries, and there's so much to talk about when it comes to Princess Diana, I feel like the 2022 doc, The Princess, does a good job of like talking about her relationship with the paparazzi. Nice. All right. Rest in peace, Miss Winehouse, a queen amongst women. Let's move on to a king amongst men. Hey, that's a transition, but first, let's take a break. How are you going to beat Godson? You watched When We Were Kings. What happened in this thing? Wow, what a big question. Um, okay, so again, summaries are going to be short, but this documentary follows Muhammad Ali and George Foreman as they prepare for and execute the Rumble in the Jungle, which is taking place in Zaire in Africa. This region is now the Democratic Republic of Congo. It was a chance for Ali to reclaim his heavyweight title. So was, uh, all eyes were on this uh, showdown, but it was also a chance for two African-American men to connect with their blackness and their roots. And this documentary kind of goes into all of that. Yeah, pretty much. There so, it is. Is that a good summary? Yeah, they fought in the jungle. <laughs> yeah, but it's also like not just about the fight. Yeah, it's about exactly. identity. Boxing never is. Yeah, exactly. All right. So why did you pick this movie for me to watch? 
I wanted you to watch a sports doc. I was thinking about a few different ones, but um, this is considered one of the greatest sports documentaries ever. Um, it captures a fascinating snapshot of Muhammad Ali and one of his biggest fights ever. Um, I had considered giving you hoop dreams instead, but that's a three hour one. And, um, <laughs> and I'm so glad you didn't. And it's, and I, it's screener season um, and the holiday season. So uh, this is also a nice, like very consumable, like hour 50 or something like that. So since you watched it for the first time, um, what stood out to you? What were your impressions of it? So it's sort of the opposite of Amy in a way where it I liked that it picked one big fight and one moment and just one situation. And of course, they dive into a, more than that. But it wasn't like Cautious Clay was born and it, like it, it wasn't like about his life. It was about like this moment and who he was at this time. Um, so I liked that it was about a fight but it didn't hold back from telling a big picture story at the same time i like uh, like southern manda narration voice we got there <laughs> kasha like, clay was born in 19 <laughs> thank you <laughs> um uh but yeah i really I, that's something i enjoy about it as well as uh a person who appreciates when like looking at a big story just nailing in on one specific event or um or happening uh, I thought that was a good way to paint things. What else stood out to you? I liked the editing style of this movie a lot. Totally. It is snappy, but feels very natural at the same time that it is fast paced. I, I thought the editing back and forth between different scenes kind of created like conversation with itself. Yes, definitely. And like, built, built the narratives pretty well and like energetically, like at a pace that was like fitting in a Sorkin film. Um, so I thought that was very fun. I, I noticed that on this watch as well. That was something that, I mean, it kind of goes in line with what I was saying earlier of this, both of our documentaries while being moments in history also feel like they are presented very narratively. They're presented almost f fictionally, um, despite it being a real moment. So, and that is done with editing. God bless your editors. Yes. Shout out to editors. Another thing that I noticed was that it really feels like a lot of documentaries in one. Like it is a sports documentary, but it's also a Muhammad Ali documentary. And it's also a history documentary about blackness at this time and identity. And it's also about like African relations. And like there's just there's so many things going on. It is almost little to say it's a sports documentary. It's about a fight. Well, it's like, yeah, there's a background of a fight. That's sort of the backdrop of this situation. But there's so much going on in here. Um, and I was really pleasantly surprised when I was watching it. Obviously, I can watch a sports documentary. I have no problem with it. But there was a lot of layers to this. And I was really impressed by that. Yeah, definitely. I think that everybody involved did a good job of contextualizing the characters, contextualizing the event, um, even contextualizing the place. Um, which feels really difficult to do that all within the scope of a fight. But like any, like watching any sport, I, I feel like if you, the more you know the characters and the stories, um, the more you care about it. So I thought it did a good job of like building that for people who were not aware of it. Because I've always heard of Rumble in the Jungle and I've seen this fight. I've watched it, but I to understand the historical context, I thought it was very effective. No, I, I totally agree. I'll talk more about it later, but I didn't know the outcome of the fight. So that was like even more fun. <laughs> That's very exciting. It's like people I know watching The Last Dance, not knowing if MJ won the last championship or not. Yeah, exactly. 
Um, so the last thing that was my first impression was that there's a lot I don't know about Muhammad Ali. I obviously know that he was a boxer. He was the best boxer. He was um, very loquacious. And I do know that at what point he uh, got involved in Islam and thus changed his name. That's kind of all I knew. And uh, this taught me a lot about who he was as a person and as a character. And there's so much footage of him just talking. Um, and that can tell you a lot about a person. So it was fun to learn a lot more. And then, of course, like afterwards, just researching. And I'm not going to bore you with like, here's a list of fun facts I learned. But like, there was just a lot I didn't know about him. To that note, what have you thought about the most since watching? So... Similarly, he is incredibly charismatic, and what I have thought about are all of the aspects that I didn't know about him, um, and there are so many things that you could make a Muhammad Ali documentary about, um, whether you want to do his whole life, or his journey as a athlete, or his rise to fame, or his involved involvement with black rights, or his politics. And like, again, I really appreciated that this documentary was like, no, we're going to talk about this famous fight and we'll we'll contextualize everything but like we're just give you a slice mm-hmm. and we're gonna tell you everything that happened in that slice um but i've thought a lot about like there's it's just like an endless bank of information you could do about muhammad ali that's so cool so few people in history are that well-rounded and that not self-important but just like important i guess yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm the heavyweight title of the world at that time, boxing at that time, had a grip on the culture like it really doesn't now. And just being this big, charismatic, you know, he had it. He had everything. He had the style. He had the look. You know, like you said, the the more you look in, the more there is to dive into. Um, so it's like a wealth of knowledge and archival and, and looks at him. I, lo- I just love like him just sitting with people and talking to the camera. Like that's just life for him because he was just one of the most famous people ever and he like eats it up, which is which is fun. Boxer is one title of his among many other things. Muhammad Ali, boxer, comma, politician, comma, activist, comma, philanthropist. Like there's so much involved in him as a person. Uh, Yeah, I think that nails it right on the head that why why he's such a incredible figure in our history. Um, What else have you thought about the most since watching? So. On the other side of this, there are definitely times that I had no idea what the fuck he was talking about anymore. (laughs) (laughs) He would like get, he is extremely loquacious, as I said, and he just talks and talks and talks and he is very inspiring. He's almost sermon-like at times. He's very um, pastoral and you're listening to him and you're like, you're feeling it, but I'm like, I don't know what we're talking about anymore. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, like, do you remember like which parts? No, but it happened like four times where I was like, I'm on board, but I don't, this metaphor has left me. Like, <laughs> no longer. I'm so fascinated I'm sure to what those parts to, were. I'm sure it has to do with just like being a person in the world, but like, I don't really know what you're trying to tell me anymore, but I'm in. Like, you As long got as you me. got the vibes, I'm, that's all that matters. Was there anything else? Yeah. Something I've really thought a lot about is like our current relationship to black identity being so different now than it was then and i mean who the fuck am i to say but from an observer's point of view there was a point where um they were discussing how despite ali being light-skinned the african people identified more with him 
being African and being black than George Foreman, who they were saying, like, looks more like us, but is American. And like this sort of like black identity and the difference between African and African-American and where you use your heritage and do you owe it to yourself and your community to be like involved in those sorts of things. And like that's just like a topic of conversation among a lot of people I know right now. And it's really interesting to look at it happening in the 70s. And there is sort of now a um, gosh, again caveat who am i to say but it feels like there is this sense of like everyone's identity is valid however you want to connect to it is extremely valid and this movie at a moment was like almost invalidating george foreman's blackness at a point when you talk about foreman's blackness was a little invalid or you felt like there it was invalidated do you mean the people within the documentary or the documentary itself there was um, a, a person from Zaire who was being interviewed, and unfortunately, I do not remember his name, but they were like translating um, for him. I believe he was in like a green shirt. Like I can like see him. Um, but there was uh, a point in the, in the documentary where he's saying like, we just were like, we were all team Muhammad Ali because he was one of us, even though he is more light skinned. And like in reality, like both of these men are african-american like they're both black men from america but there was just like an identification more with the african people and muhammad ali because of his connection to his roots and like how much he involved himself in it i just thought it was really it just has like been i've just been thinking about it a lot yeah it speaks to his uh, it speaks to ali's charisma too because i know part of that connection he made was just like actually being available and with the people yeah um, while they waited to fight whereas foreman was much more like keeping to himself and it, nobody is as uh charismatic as muhammad ali so he kind of just went the opposite way um and then all of a sudden they're screaming ali Bumaye. so <laughs> yeah exactly like they like so quickly latched on to him and yeah. i just it was it like just really struck me when um that expert was talking and I was like, oh, I had never I'd never would have thought about that. All right. So you talked about learning more about Muhammad Ali and just in general. But like, what were some of the first things you looked up about this film? I wanted to know how old Ali was at this time. He was 32. And what really shocked me that I had to put down is that George Foreman was 25 at the time of this fight. I had no idea that George Foreman was younger than him. He seems like a towering giant over Muhammad Ali. And it sort of seemed like, can the kid take down the like, <laughs> the, the like towering veteran? But that's absolutely not what was going on. And that was like a complete, I probably would have had a very different perspective watching the movie had I known that information. Um, so that was just like really shocking. It put the whole movie in a different light for me. That's so funny because um, especially how they paint the like the vibes going into the fight. George Foreman is this terrifying, monstrous force. And like they were actually scared for Ali's well-being or even in the press conference, Ali being like, who has Foreman picked? I know I'm the underdog. And just people were discussing like we were watching him go to his death. Like no one by the time it happened was like, excited it was happening but because said, it felt like dance. it was the last moment yeah it was great do you know much about george foreman either no 
they just came out with a a biopic about George Foreman um, that did not look very good. But it it talks about so he became the heavyweight champion super young, destroying everyone. He was forty and zero walking into this fight with Ali, and then he loses, and then he kind of goes on a journey, and he stops boxing from age twenty eight to age thirty eight. Like he becomes a preacher. He doesn't want to go back to boxing. Um, but then at 38, he's like, I'm going to make a comeback. And everybody's like, what the fuck are you talking about? And then over the course of two years, he gets back to uh, title contention, fights for the title, loses. And then at this point, he's 42 years old. Or sorry, at 45 years old, he fights for the title and wins, which is like a record, like oldest champion, old like longest gaps between um, the heavyweight title. Um so he had this whole other career in like the 90s um, after this, which uh, is kind of nuts to think about. But anyway, I just wanted to give you that little form and download. Uh, was there anything else that you looked up? Yes. So I will revisit that Foreman story later when I just get to Dr. Bob Corner. Um, <laughs> so that's a little a little nugget of teaser. Um, okay. So I wanted to know, and again, Someone who doesn't know much about anything. I wanted to know why Muhammad Ali was not in this movie. I knew that this movie was made in the 90s and that he passed in 2016 in Scottsdale um, because I remember all of that happening. So I was like, oh, I know he's like totally alive. What I didn't know was that in 1984, he was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease and lived with it for many, many years, of course. Um, Another thing I didn't know is that Parkinson's disease can be a result of head trauma. That was definitely something I was thinking about when he would like go on these long tangents. And I'm like, I don't know where we are anymore, but like you seem very excited. And I'm like, I wonder if anyone studied your brain after this happened. <laughs> like, where did, was there like cohesion before the punches to the brain or like what's going on? But obviously, there was a lot of disease involved, but he was still very involved in his philanthropy and being places. And even though he was not as, hands-on he was still very present and very influential and now i understand why he wasn't in the documentary and it makes a lot of sense yeah that was another thing that um when i was reading contemporaneous reviews of it the first time i watched the film people were just really happy to have this footage of ali at his peak again because he was so gifted on the mic and such a gifted speaker um to have that kind of taken away and they addressed it in the doc too like you know they one of the sports writers um talks about how he really he fought 20 more times after and um it wasn't the best choice for him um and how that kind of uh impacted him but like you said uh really admirable how he just kept himself in the public uh public spotlight um despite the parkinson's disease um all the way until he died very cool um one of the other things i wanted to know was of course what were what are the general thoughts on this documentary? When you when I first pulled it up, it was like considered one of the best documentaries ever, comma. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Got it. <laughs> like, okay. Like it was like right there. And I was like, all right. So point being, it was considered one of the it is currently considered one of the best documentaries of all time, especially sports documentaries, but it sort of transcends sports documentarianism, mm-hmm. um, as I had alluded earlier. But yeah, I mean, nailed it. It was extremely compelling. And for me to know nothing about this sport, really, and very little, obviously, about the main players, it was very engaging. So 
I'm uh, happy to see that that happened. Um, and it did also win uh, the Oscar for Best Documentary Feature. After you had written in who presented, I went and looked up who presented just because I not thought of that. It was Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith. Hey. <laughs> back in the, uh, it was very clear that they were there to promote probably Men in Black 2 or something, but it was like in that era. Um, and Will Smith is overjoyed that Ali, the, the Ali documentary won. Um, both George Foreman and uh, Muhammad Ali were there. And by the time Leon Gast, who is the director, um, mentioned Ali at the end, there was a huge standing ovation for him and that they brought him on stage. It was very sweet. That's so coincidental that Will Smith is presenting because he goes on to play Ali later. Yes, exactly. It was very, I noted that as well. Um, and then another thing that in my general thoughts on the documentary section was that a piece of research I found was that uh, Leon Gast, it took him 22 years to edit and finance this film. Jeez. So I wanted to then know more about why it took 22 years to do this. Um, Leon Gast and the other co-producer, David Sonnenberg, are both white men. And in his New York Times obituary, it discussed that he was a boxer in high school and he apparently lugged his projector to an office in Rockefeller Center where he lobbied for the job of making the film about the music festival that happened during this time in the Rumble of the Jungle um, with clips of the fight interspersed. So it was more focused on the music at first. Um, they wanted a black director, but they really liked Leon Gass' work and hired him only if he agreed to have um, mostly black crew members, which I think is very interesting. So he got to take it on and he's done a lot of different documentaries. He did one on Manny Pacquiao. He did one on soul music. He has done a lot of documentaries about cultures that are not necessarily his own, mm. but are still well-respected documentaries and yeah. done with care and appreciation. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's an interesting point about about Gast and, and Sonnenberg. When I've rewatched this documentary, I do notice like the sports writers involved are two white dudes, and it's kind of the outsider's lens on the events or like they're retelling the story how they told it. Like they're the sports writers, I enjoy um, as talking heads because they're so classically sports writer, just in the way they're describing. Like I've met those guys, like not really met those guys, but I've met a version of those guys for sure. Um, but I also love that Spike Lee was in. I almost wish we got more Spike um, in there to kind of unfortunately be the one spokesperson for like American black culture in the documentary. Um, did you have a favorite scene? I feel like this, this documentary had scenes. Um, yeah. So did you have a favorite? So I didn't know much about this fight. I didn't know who won. I didn't know who it was with. I didn't even know. I had heard of the rumble in the jungle. Gun to my head 10 days ago. Couldn't have told you who was in it. <laughs> Couldn't even told you it was in Africa. I had no, I just like knew the phrase. Um, so the comeback of Muhammad Ali in which he does win was very exciting. Like when they talk about he had, uh, George Foreman had exhausted himself and you see his arms just like go to jelly trying to hit Ali and then Ali gets this like second wind and it is just it's like a movie it is something you can't write if you wrote it it would be too corny and that's great those are the best moments of history so that scene was obviously very exciting 
um, and really stuck with me. But I did really want to shout out all the music scenes. So I had no idea there was a music festival attached to this entire fight. And there's incredible footage of the of the performers like B.B. King. I loved the James Brown scene. James Brown is one of my favorite performers, and he is just so fascinating to watch. And there is just some like crazy up close shots and you feel like you're there. And I would have almost loved to have seen Leon Gass documentary about the music festival that he was originally going to make because it seemed like he really cared about those parts as well. Yeah. And and they involved that part of it so beautifully, like uh, to capture the like kind of circus environment around, like when everybody's getting onto the planes to the, yeah uh, when they couldn't, they were like, where are we going again? Z- Zaire? Okay. Yeah. Um, seeing it's James- almost like office-like, like there's like pants to the, right into the camera where they're like, where, what's going on? <laughs> and then all of a sudden James Brown's just walking across. Yeah. Um, I, I particularly love speaking to the music and also speaking to the editing um, when it was cutting back and forth before the fight starts, the, the woman kind of doing the chance. Oh, so good. Like the, the, the breathy chance and the going back and forth between the fight and the prep and, and everything like that. And it was like, wow, that what what a way to, to build toward this climactic moment. And the like the premonition that was like given to him by like a soothsayer. Yeah, and, like, yeah. There was so many cool aspects of, of the film. Definitely. Again, like if you had written this, it would kind of like people would be like, take like two of those things out. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is like, like there's corny. no way that could be real. Yeah, exactly. But it because it actually happened, it is so fun. Do you have any other questions about this movie? Um, I just wanted to know more about when you saw it. Was it pre-being hired by the UFC? Was it because you were hired by the UFC? Obviously, I do. I, I do know the UFC is not only boxing or maybe not boxing at all. Correct. It is not boxing. <laughs> I didn't think so, but I didn't want to be wrong. <laughs> but mixed martial arts. Were you more inclined to watch it after you were now involved in a fighting institution? No, I've always been interested in combat sports and like boxing and MMA and all all of it. Um, I didn't I wasn't aware of this documentary existing until probably 2019, 2018, 2019. Um, so that's when I watched it. Cool. I feel like this is a good time to do Dr. Bob Corner. Go for it. OK, so my dad is. Obviously a huge sports fan, but is just sort of a sports memorabilia and sports moments of his life collector. But I called him earlier because I was like, I feel like you have an Ali story. Can I know more details? So I found out more information. There was a time in Pontiac, Michigan, where he was going to be, there was a fight happening at the palace in Auburn Hills, unrelated to Muhammad Ali, but he was going to be there. And you could go and get his autograph. But there were like little cards with like a stamped autograph. And my dad commented that while he was in line, it was like right behind the table, like a little bit in the distance, you could see Muhammad Ali sitting there. He was just sitting there. And my dad said there weren't a lot of people, which he was always very surprised by. There weren't a lot of people who showed up to this. But he sort of just like yells out to Muhammad Ali. He's like, what did he say? I wrote it down because I was like, (laughs) no way. He says, come on, champ, this isn't even your real signature. This is kind of lame. And Muhammad Ali like nods and like calls him over and like really signed his card and like spent like a minute or two with him. And he they were the only ones who got like an actual signature from Muhammad Ali in like probably the 80s, 90s, like a real thing that (laughs) and like no one else had the balls to do it, basically. So that's like 
a very fun story. Wow. Yeah, that's <laughs> sick. That's incredible. Um, I know. Does he still have the signature? Oh, yes. Okay, good. It's definitely somewhere. Um, and then the Foreman fight in which he came back to become the heavyweight champ all those years later, my father was in attendance of that game. Oh, wow. Of that fight. He went with his brother, and, like my mom and my aunt. Um, so it was the four of them. And they put all their money on, it was like 200 bucks, he was saying, tickets, which is like now is like nothing. <laughs> um, but he was like, oh, we can't really, we, we should gamble on this we can win our money back um so they put all their money on george foreman winning and apparently he was like down for a while and it was like not looking good and then last minute he you know very similar to this movie but in his favor now he comes back and he wins my dad said the place went bananas and he won all of his money back (laughs) wow that's so cool good for him two great stories that is two with both of the main characters all right. Do you have any questions or comments, any thoughts that you wanted to get off still? So you've watched Warrior on this podcast. We've watched Creed. I know you love uh, Rocky Balboa, uh, the first Rocky movie. <laughs> love Rocky. <laughs> um, so what did you think of watching a boxing documentary versus you know these movies that you've watched? It's really interesting because I famously have... Um, I like white noise brain when it comes to combat in films. Yes. And I was not, I did not feel that way at all in this movie. And maybe it's because there was only really one fight and it was like a big comeback fight. And I didn't know what was going to happen. We're like in the warriors. I was like, I'm sure everyone will be fine in the end and brotherhood <laughs> will win. Like guy, like couldn't know what was going to happen. And so it really did keep me on the edge of my seat. So I thought that was nice. Um, but yeah, I think in general, like those movies, you kind of know what was probably going to happen, where even though this had like the cinematic twist ending almost, I didn't know it was going to happen. So I was more um, excited, I guess. Yeah, that makes sense. Which is like also maybe why Rocky stuck with me, because like the fact that they just tie and then like that's the film and I'm like, what? And then the movie just ends like it's just like over. Oh, man. Wait till you watch Rocky 2. <laughs> we watched part of Rocky 4 the other day because it was on TV, but we came in like halfway through. Oh, I yeah. Like, I gotta start from the beginning. Yeah, you got to watch Rocky 2. Um, would you watch this movie again? Probably not. Because again, I don't tend to rewatch documentaries very much, but I will suggest this movie. Mm. Yeah. Well, if uh, you watch this and you were wanting more of it, I cheated and I gave you four instead of three. So a couple documentaries uh, about Muhammad Ali. One is called Facing Ali, and it's from the perspective of people he fought. Um, I think they got 10 or 12 people. So you kind of see the scorched earth um, aftermath of, of these guys' careers. On the flip side... Um, if you consider when we were kings, maybe like the mass media slash white media's view of Muhammad Ali, um, what's my name is more uh, in his own words, obviously, um, and and kind of gives more context toward um, who he was as a person, his life growing up, kind of more sprawling. When you were saying another uh, film to watch, as you were saying, uh, wow, this is like a movie. It has a cinematic ending. Well, Michael <laughs> Mann thought so, too. <laughs> um, and directed a, a movie with Will Smith as Muhammad Ali, titled Ali. It's not the best Michael Mann movie, but I think uh, it's very solid. And Will Smith probably gives his best performance in this film. So it's worth it for that. And then lastly, um, since I'm cheating and giving four, 
another doc uh, docu series, if you will, is called The Kings. It's about um, this period in the '80s with Roberto Duran, Tommy Hearns, um, Marvin Hagler, and Sugar Ray Leonard, uh, and they fought each other a bunch over the course of the '80s. And so that was chronicled in a book by George Kimball called The Four Kings, and then Showtime adapted that book into a docu series. So another cool like using fights as inflection points um to tell different stories so um we did it nice speaking of bits (laughs) (laughs) our favorite bit i tried to explain this bit to somebody the other day and i felt like a lunatic well because if they haven't seen an interview with a vampire it doesn't make sense i know i was like so there's this movie that happened in the 90s where brad pitt plays a vampire but he hates it um (laughs) and he hated making the movie and the movie is ridiculous, but I like the movie, but that guy likes movies. So we <laughs> it's like, also, what? also speaking of like vampires that hated it, like who do you think hated being a vampire more? Louis or Robert Pattinson? Oh, good question. Well, because I originally I was thinking Brad Pitt hated playing a vampire who hated being a vampire. So there's like double hatred there. True. I don't know. But I would love to see Brad Pitt and um, Robert Pattinson make a vampire movie now together (laughs) and have it be kind of funny. Interview with a vampire at Twilight. Um, Okay, so which movie would Louis love more between Amy and When We Were Kings? I think he would love When We Were Kings. You think he'd be a boxing guy? I just think he would be so interested in the context of the whole thing. Mm. And these larger than life personalities and like there's just there's so much involved in this film, as I was trying to say for 45 minutes. <laughs> yeah, that's true. I wonder if he becomes a boxing guy because he is, you know, he's from France, right? Or is he is he from New Orleans? Yes. Louis de Pont de la. I know, but isn't he's he like French. Cajun? Okay. Um, yes, but that's French descent. Okay. I think he uh, lived in New Orleans when it, France was owning it. Gotcha. We should I have to go rewatch to it. Go to, go to interview with our vampire pod. Because um, I, I was going to lean Amy. I felt like he was he would be really into uh, this tragedy. I think he would not be cool with someone like disrupting their body palace. Like I think he would be like, mm. you have like, don't mess with the, the, your temple. Like I don't think he would have a lot of respect for her. He'd be very frustrated with Mitch. Yeah. Bad father. God, that um, movie's so good. Oh my god. Anyway, uh, I, what know, it, the issue is I still don't know if that movie is good. <laughs> if I like it. Like I didn't learn the thing I sought out to learn show when it I at the wine it bar. to you. <laughs> Hi. It's like three hours and it has like nine plots, I promise, but it's really visual. <laughs> <laughs> it's a movie. Okay. Well, speaking of movies. <laughs> what are the next movies? All right, so we're swapping some crime thrillers. Zach will be watching Christopher Nolan's breakout movie, Memento, and I will be watching Denis Villeneuve's crime film, Sicario. I don't know where I was going with that. That's okay. What do you know about Memento, if anything? Uh, I know there's tattoos. I know there's some Nolan-y time stuff in there. Yes. Uh, I know there's a twist, but I'm not quite sure. Um, Multiple timelines. I don't know. Something like that. Um, I know it's a little weird. What do you know about Sicario? That's great. Those are all great places to be in. Um, I know that I love Denis Villeneuve and this movie has been on my list for a while. 
Um, I believe um, Daniel Kaluuya is in it. He is. And Emily Blunt is in it. She is as well. Nice. That's all I know. Great job. Okay, great. Um, there was like some clip of the two of them, like just a screenshot, and then somebody uh, quote tweeted it and was like, without context, this movie looks almost like a rom-com. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, oh, Sicario. Okay. Now I know what this movie is. You're going to text me in all caps about something once you realize something about the movie. I can't wait. Yeah. So that's the movies we're swapping. Let's talk about the movies on our watch list as well. Um, what do you got coming up in December? It's fucking screener season. Um, this week, I'm seeing American Fiction, Zone of Interest, and The Iron Claw. Nice. <laughs> it's Fuck just yeah. like that time of year right now. Iron Claw, um, let's go. I can't wait. I'm taking my sister. Very exciting. Yes, chef. Um, I'll probably... I got Saltburn on DVD last week. Wow. So I'm excited. I'll probably play that after this. Um, but I want to go to the theater to see Napoleon. Haven't seen it yet. It's been out like four days, but I <laughs> <laughs> haven't seen it yet. I'm excited to see it. I love uh, Joaquin Phoenix, that little weirdo. Um, and then Battle Royale is a Japanese movie that was inspiring to Kill Bill. And it has been on Criterion for a little bit. And I know it's leaving at the end of the month. So I definitely want to get that on my list before it leaves. What's on your watch list? Um, not screeners because I have not gotten a screener plug yet. But if anybody knows anybody, let, let him in. <laughs> let me in. Um, it's Christmas season. It's holiday season, baby. So gonna be watching some holiday movies, including this one that I keep meaning to watch, but then forgetting. Jingle Jangle. It's a Netflix film starring Forrest Whitaker, um, Madeline Mills, Keegan Michael Key, among other people. Um, just seems like a good time to get in the mood for the season. Um, a uh, 2023 film that I've been meaning to watch for months now is 1001. Um, it's a film I believe came out during Sundance. It's starring Tiana Taylor. Um, and it's been on Peacock. And I think it's on Hulu as well now. Um, and then lastly, Poor Things comes out this month. Emma Stone um, vehicle with Amanda's... All of Amanda's favorites, honestly. Um, including but not limited to Mark Ruffalo. Can't wait to see this one. I assume it's going to be weird. I assume there's going to be a lot of GoPro looking ass footage. And I can't wait. I can't wait. Poor Things is now my like most anticipated movie of the year. It looks phenomenal. Um, literally counting down the seconds. Please, studios, let me see it early. Give me that fucking invite. Please. Press screenings are fun. They're so fun. Invite me. Let me go to one. I'm in the press. I need to screen. Let me go to one. I just want to log stuff on my letterbox. Let Zach go. He's in the press. <laughs> He needs to screen as well. I am in the press, I guess. You are in the press. <laughs> You're a member of the press, damn it. <laughs> All right, so uh, new Blind Spotters merch. You're a member of the press, damn it. Available <laughs> soon on our Patreon. <laughs> oh my God, we'll start a All Patreon. Right, thank you guys pennies. so much for listening. At least one person would buy it. That person would be me. Um, all right, so you can find a new episode, Blind Spotters, on the second Tuesday of the month. Uh, it's almost the new year. This is so exciting, which means Faves of the Year is coming up. It is always our best episode. So 2023 top five and our recap featuring our good friend Maya will be coming soon. Um, until then, follow the podcast on Instagram at Pod. On Twitter at Blind Spotters. Zach, where can people find you online? 
You can find me on Twitter at ZachPockClub. And as always, you can find me on Letterboxd. I have now subscribed to the pro subscription because I want my end of your stats. Um, oh my god. You're getting like Letterboxd wrapped? Yeah, it's going to be fucking sick. That's um, great. <laughs> my two most watched movies of all time, apparently, since logging in 2019. Lady Bird and When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> I kind of told you that. You didn't need to, you want to pay me? I'll tell you that. <laughs> anyway, where can people find you? You can send me all compliments at Amanda Luberto across all platforms. Absolutely, always. Thanks for listening to our pod. Uh, happy holidays. Bye. Ali, Bumaye. Ali, Bumaye. Ali, Bumaye. Ali, Bumaye.